Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. Uh, as always, as you know, before we get started off, uh, I'm not going to ask you to rate and review the podcast. I, I would love for you to do that. But most importantly, obviously Halloween is tomorrow, but, but even more importantly, next week, voting. Election day is coming up. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just telling you to do it. Just go vote. All right. It's, a, it's an important thing. Uh, just, it's not even just about presidents. There's so much going on in, in, in local happenings that might impact you even more than the presidential election. And you know, what's the, the best part about voting? If you vote, you have a right to bitch about it on Twitter. So <laughs> I will be using that in full. I can guarantee you. Um, but just uh, again, please go do that. Um, so, you know, today I, I'm really excited. We finally had some time to link up. Dave Searle is joining me to talk, uh, talk, talk, on the Pacers and dish a little bit on what's going on in the NBA. Dave, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. I'm glad that you plugged uh, uh, election day. Uh, it's, it's also important to try to, uh, you know, do your civic duty. If for mm-hmm. some reason you really don't want to vote for president, show up and vote for local elections. They will exactly. probably have a bigger impact on your life to be completely honest with you. Um, as a guest in your podcast, I don't want to get too political, but I would say a lot of people are probably living in the fifth district, uh, which is Christina Hale versus Victoria Sparks. You've probably seen a few commercials about this race. I think it's one of the closest races in the country. I will say that I have a lot of people that work in politics, a lot of people who are conservatives who work in politics, and they all say that Christina Hale is a genuine, awesome person, that is just a good civic leader, and it's just a good representative for the state of Indiana. And a lot of them have very kind of quietly put their support behind her. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard one single person say not to vote for Hale. And so um, I don't know if that means anything to anybody that's listening, but um, I think that uh, she has a very good endorsement for me. I've been driving around, putting up yard signs for uh, Christina Hale uh, as a volunteer here in the area. And um, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not as shy about putting out political opinions. And I think people know that. I about definitely me, am but, not either. Know. I don't I think. Yeah. It's hard. Sure. Not well, be. sure. You know, it, it, you know, it's it's um, uh, but it can get a little touchy in, uh, during a political season. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, obviously we're here to talk Pacers. But uh, I will just say on a personal level, I would give my fullest endorsement to going out to vote Christina Hale. So if you have been making a decision there, I would I'd, I'd nudge in that direction. Well, definitely. I I currently don't live in Indiana, so I will definitely take Dave's word for that. But obviously do your due diligence. Uh, just get it done. Um, so, you know, <laughs> obviously Halloween's tomorrow, so we have to do something a little Halloween related before we talk Pacers. Okay. I want to do a quick snake draft of, of candies. And I, okay. I decided that, would you like the first or second pick? Um, I'll take second. second. I'll get yeah, second. Oh, okay, so, of course. Get to go back to back, man. I assume this is just like classic Halloween. Uh, oh candy yeah. I mean, you, you can get. go as, as out of, uh, out of the box as you want, but I mean, Okay. First overall pick, I'll, I mean, I'm taking Reese's and it's Reese's, not Reese's. I always want to, you know, put that out there to people as someone who eats Reese's on a weekly basis. Uh, daily's questionable. Weekly is unquestionable. But, you know, I mean, Reese's is just you, you can't go wrong, man. Any form I know full well that it's Reese's, but I still say Reese's. I just oh, it man. was 
bred to me as a kid. I don't know where it came from. I can't get it out of my head. I have to say Reese's, but you're correct. It is Reese's. I wish I could say Reese's. It is Reese's. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what are you taking? You got back to back. Okay. Well, see, I wouldn't pick Reese's. I mean, there. Oh, I said Reese's. You got me going. Yeah. This is good. This is making progress. There we I like go. I, I wouldn't take Reese's because it kind of melts in the middle a little bit for me. That is true. Knocks, knocks it slightly you down. You need it just um, out of the fridge. That's that's a perfect Reese's. You know, I'm going to go a little unconventional here, and I am just going to go with anything full-size. Anything full-size? Anything full-size. Whatever you wow, got. You sound you like a middle school. candy bar. That's You're like that middle schooler who dressed up as a, as a middle schooler. It was like, you know, I, this, my, <laughs> I'm, I'm in costume already. Like, yeah, I'm just here for the candy. <laughs> that's priceless. <laughs> All right. Well, then what's your what's your second pick? Well, it's a snake draft. So I'd say if if I had to make a specific choice and it's not a, a full size candy bar, I got to say I'd be happiest with a Snickers. Yeah. Snickers Classic. are great. It's got everything I like about candy bars. You got chocolate, nougat, nuts, the whole thing. It's it's all in one package. Snickers, number one. You did definitely beat me on there. I Snickers are pretty great. Those are like Snickers in the freezer. And then you pull them out like, mm, yeah. man. I'm not even going trick-or-treating, and I want to now. Um, I think I would have to go peanut M&Ms just because, I mean, peanut M&Ms are amazing. Like, mm-hmm. Except, you know, okay, I'll, I'll actually change it. I will go peanut butter M&Ms. I think they're better than peanut M&Ms. That might be okay. a controversial take. I don't care. The peanut gets stuck in my teeth. I don't like that. Peanut butter does not. And it's a little sweeter. I like it. It's good stuff. It's. I don't see this commercially available, but, you know, sometimes I've had people have candy dishes, and they'll give you one of each. That's pretty good. Get the smooth on one nice. bite and then the crunchy on the other one. That's that's a good time. I do like that. See, now we just, we just need peanut butter ones that are mixed with the peanut. Peanut, peanut, like peanut squared or something like that. I, I like the idea. <laughs> Somebody hire me uh, or <laughs> get me to stop talking about stuff so much. I don't know. One of the two. Um, my last pick. Oh, man, that's a great question. I almost want to like see the pick. Because I don't want to say something stupid like Milky Way, because Milky Way is terrible. Three Musketeers, terrible. Um, I'm just going to shoot things out of the sky. Skittles, nope. They, like, make my mouth raw, and then my tongue looks like a weird color. (laughs) Um, I saw somebody earlier today pick caramel apple pops. Those things are terrible. Those, like, I I don't know about (laughs) you, but whenever I got those when I was a kid, not to be, like, that greedy kid, but, like, when you're – you know, me and my sister, every, uh, every Halloween, we'd of course toss all our candy on the floor and sort it out and trade with each other. And those were always the things like left behind for our parents. We were like, yeah, we don't want these. They're gross. <laughs> I like them. I like them. I really? I like it. Oh man. Yeah. See, I'm, like, the I'm, sour and the sweet together. I don't know. I've never been a big fan, but they're, they're fine. They're fine. Uh, man, I guess I have to just pick. Um, Probably a Mr. Good bar. I love Mr. Good bar. Yeah. I, I'm a peanut butter person, so it's hard to hard to avoid it. What's your that's last good, pick? That's a good pick. I like that you were stumped for a second about your own question. I know. <laughs> right? I, I went in blind. I didn't have anything written down. I was just like, you know, we're going to go for it. Um, I, I, I want to give a quick shout out to a whatchamacallit bars. Whatchamacallit bars oh, they are, are my pretty favorite good. candy bar. Uh, second favorite probably zero bars, but those what are is never a zero bar. Hard. I've never Zero bar is kind of like it's mostly nougat. It's got white chocolate on the outside. Oh, okay, uh, you don't see them too much, but uh, I'm a big uh, Zero Bar fan. Uh, whenever I can get a hold of one, uh, but those usually aren't available. So uh, my final pick, a little bit of a symbolic one. I've got Mr. Irrelevant here, um, and you know, a lot of times people kind of 
make a choice that's a little bit more of a kind of a cool nod than something that might be functional for the team. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and pick candy corn. I think it gets too much crap. Oh no. Candy perfectly okay, good. Well, time to just end the, end the recording. <laughs> Scrub that. It's one of my wife's favorite candies. Oh um, man. You know, it isn't one of my absolute favorites, but you know, I think that uh, um, there's, there's, there's definitely candy out there that deserves a lot more hate, especially that like unidentifiable candy. That's like, one orange wrapper and one black wrapper and it's like this weird flavor that doesn't exist in nature uh, those little weird candies those are yeah. way worse than, than candy corn candy corn gets a lot of crap that doesn't deserve so candy corn you're coming with me if candy corn was an ex-pacers player who would it be be like monte ellis <laughs> <laughs> um no definitely not you know i'd say it's jeff foster it's jeff Just foster cause... Just gets the job done. Nothing too flashy. But Candy Corn doesn't get the job done. I don't (laughs) think. I think it's just so bad, man. (laughs) Well, it's, uh, you know, he might actually, uh, um, I don't know if he'd get the job done in 2020 either, you know. And uh, uh, he's the kind of guy that set a few screens, played decent defense, get a few rebounds. That was about it. We're entering an era of NBA basketball in which guys like Jeff Foster uh, couldn't exist, which actually I was just thinking about this because you asked me on the podcast, asked me about a variety of uh, topics. Haven't said a whole lot about new Nate, Nate 2.0, yeah. uh, the new coach. Um, I think there's a lot of, to kind of talk about there, but um, it, it's interesting that when the new coach comes in, especially when it's an assistant coach from another team, there's not a whole lot to go off of whether this guy's going to be any good or not. Mm-hmm. You see him talk a little bit. You get kind of a good feeling. That's about as a fan about all that you can get. Uh, one thing that he seems really open to is making uh, lots of adjustments. I think this is going to be the big sea change of coaching over the next you know decade or so, where we used to have an NBA where coaches rarely made uh, adjustments uh, on a very big level to that being maybe a prerequisite to succeeding as a modern coach. Um, and it's good to know that Nate's one of the guys that's going to be able uh, to do this. Uh, but that's really been something that is uh, kind of brand new. I remember when uh, the Pacers played the Pistons uh, in the playoffs, uh, one of the classic battles, Jermaine O'Neal, uh, Ben Wallace, uh, all those guys. I'd like to Carlisle refer to that as, uh, a, as the shooting bricks uh, series. I think yeah. the, <laughs> I believe the Pistons and Pacers combined had four guys shoot over 40% from the field. Like it was nasty. Rogers shot 28% from the field that series. Like, oh, yeah. my God. My introduction to who Stephen A. Smith was, I had never heard of him before, and he did a halftime segment on one of those games, and he went nuts. And he said, this isn't even basketball. What are they doing? And he threw his papers in the air at, like, a halftime segment of a playoff yeah. game. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I've had a, <laughs> I'm not a big uh, Stephen A. Smith <laughs> fan, and I think man. that – the introduction to him kind of uh, did it for me. And, uh, um, you know, uh, but it was, he was to a degree, right. That was uh, a lot of uh, bad offensive basketball, but uh, uh, to kind of solve that a little bit, Carlisle put Austin Crozier at the four. And that was this crazy thing that people went nuts over. Um, And uh, it's not quite as momentous an occasion as the Warriors going to the death line up against the, the Cavs, but it was a really big deal, the fact that they made that kind of adjustment. Um, and it was talked about a lot. People thought it was like, wow, is he going to get fired if this doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. It used to be an NBA where they didn't make a lot of adjustments like that. And if doing so, it was a big deal. And so I was kind of thinking about why. Why is it that now 
people are so willing to do uh, those kinds of adjustments in the middle of a playoff series. And a lot of it is because Jeff Foster isn't in the league anymore. Yeah. What that means is that these guys just have so many more skills. Like if you ask Jeff oh, Foster, to talk about this. this is great. What's that? I said, I'm excited to talk about this. This is great. I wasn't even playing. Yeah, well, this is so, fantastic. Yeah. So it, it used to be that like Todd McCullough got it, had a job in the NBA. And his job was to be tall and white. And that was it. Like, he, he couldn't really do a whole lot else. I mean, decent defense, I guess. Got some rebounds. You could trust him for maybe, like, one post up a game. But even that is, is kind of a desperation move. But, you know, there was very limited things that you wanted him to do, and he could do it. If you asked him to switch pick-and-roll coverage, there is this serious uh, concern to say – if he's if he hasn't been practicing that a whole lot and he doesn't have that drilled into his brain, does he have the athleticism to be able to pull off like that? Does he have the understanding of basketball to really make those kind of adjustments? There's a million different reasons why you might be concerned that he's not going to be able to pick it up like that. But now, of course, we've got uh, an entire league where if if you aren't if you don't have six different things you could do you really can't stick in the NBA anymore. I mean, I just can't yeah. really think of an exception to this rule. Um, even the Pacers who have a, an unusual number of big guys with skills. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, uh, versatile things that each player can bring to the game uh, that allows you to open up all these different possibilities of ways that you can attack um, an offense and a defense. And it creates that kind of versatility. And so I think that there's a lot of old school coaches that just in their brains haven't made that switch to, I don't have Todd McCullough anymore. I have Miles Turner, you know, and there's just a whole lot more that I can do on a game to game basis. And I just think there's a lot of, um, of coaches that um, have it through repetition and through decades and decades of coaching, have that stuck in your head. Don't make an adjustment in the middle of a series. Those players aren't going to be able to handle it. Um, and I just don't think that's going to happen anymore. And in this very same way that a lot of uh, old school coaches thought don't shoot threes off the dribble. They might not have seen any particular advanced stats on it, but they just sort of have a feeling that guys can't really hit that kind of shot. It used to be that virtually every guard in the NBA was crap shooting threes off the dribble. And now most good guards can do it. And they just haven't made that adjustment in their head and expectation of what players could do. So um, that's the main thing that I see out of Nate. Um, it looks like he, fully understands the kinds of personnel that he has right now. And we're going to see a whole new era, I think, of coaches constantly, even quarter to quarter, making really serious adjustments to what they do um, uh, to a degree that has not existed in the past. And I'm glad that the Pacers, at least in the little that I know, we have a guy that's going to be able to uh, kind of take advantage of that and really embrace that and make that a core part of his coaching. Way. I think it's really cool. Wow. You brought up so many awesome points that I'm really excited to hit on. So I think the biggest thing I look at, I have a couple couple things. I'm trying to think where I want to go. The number one thing that I would say, I really appreciate you bringing up Todd McCullough because on another podcast I did, I talked to Derek Bodner, really awesome writer, covers the Sixers for The Athletic. And we talked about Todd McCullough and just how the league has changed with that. I mean, because you look at that, he was you know first on, obviously on that, uh, the, the really good Sixers team that just got obliterated by the Lakers as everybody did in the early 2000s. Um, and also on the first iteration of the Nets team that most people look at as shouldn't have been in the finals, but they were good enough to be there. So they did. Um, but you look at Tom McCullen, it's easy to be like, okay, well, this guy, and I totally agree. He would not be in the league today. Um, but you look and it's like, okay, well, he's out there because there was this idea. 
all right, we need guys who are seven feet tall that can maybe play against Shaq for 10 minutes in a game. And it doesn't even have to be well, but somebody has to be out there. And like you look at what the Pacers had to do in the finals against Shaq. I mean, you started off with Rick Smith's on him one-on-one in 2000. Uh, That obviously doesn't go well. Shaq hits like a 12-foot jump hook like 30 seconds into the game. They double him with Dale Davis, the next possession, offensive putback, and then they triple team him the entire rest of the game, and Shaq ends up with like 38 in the first game of the finals. Um, And I think he ends up averaging like 35 and gets like 11 or 12 free throws a game in that that series. Um, So you look at, like you're mentioning with all of these wing players now, you had that era of everyone – having to kind of revamp the rosters a little bit and try and acquire guys like that to play against people like Shaq, or I guess I should just say Shaq because there was nobody else like him. But now you look at, (laughs) I think, obviously, you know, since LeBron's been in the league and he's become really prevalent, prevalent since like 20, you look at like Heedle's on, I think is where you've seen the big change because then more, more guys like him become prevalent, like Durant. Um, There are obviously others. I just can't think of them off the top of my head, but like, you get these guys who are labeled as LeBron stoppers coming out of college. And most of the time they have no right being called a LeBron stopper. Um, Stanley Johnson. uh, I'll just never forget when Stanley Johnson in 2016 said that he was going (laughs) to, he wasn't worried to play LeBron in the first round and he was going to stop him. They got swept. Um, Actually, he didn't defend him too terribly, but he's just such a bad offensive player. But you look at like the way that everything's changed with with wing players and having just kind of switchy forwards. And I think what we're talking about with looking at, you know, actually having that adaptability and versatility and and moving, you know, changing what you're doing because it's so hard to do something well for an entire game against the, the versatility the offenses bring. Now you look at, I mean, Dan Burke, incredible, incredible defensive mind. This is like the first season that he's really ever tinkered with, you know, zone defense and and trying to really change things up uh, because the Pacers have always been so dead set and very good at, you know, funnel everything to Miles Turner, funnel everything to whoever's in the middle to block shots. And the Pacers execute that really well. And I think one thing that I've looked at this year that's been remarkable to me, the Pacers finished sixth in, in defensive rating, which obviously that's not entirely telling of, of what a defense can do. But you look at the perimeter defenders on this team compared to um, like a, another, you know, top 10 defense, like Malcolm borderline as a plus defender. If he's defending someone his size or bigger, he's a plus defender in my opinion, or at least neutral against guards. No, uh, Victor was a plus defender when he was here, but he wasn't there for much of the year. Jeremy lamb, not a plus defender. Aaron holiday can be a plus defender in the right scenarios. I mean, like for the most part, the perimeter defense on this team was not great. And a lot of it, you just look at what miles is able to do, but it's so different now. And I think part of it is because you have to, if, Moving forward, obviously, the it seems like Domas and, and Miles are going to at least have some run together next season, just based off of all of the PR speak we've heard. Um, but I really like what you're saying in terms of having to have that versatility. And it's kind of like you look at everything that happened with Golden State, and everyone has shifted to do what they do in a way, right? Um, and now this kind of shift back almost, this is like kind of the counter is happening like five years after it started of everyone trying to morph their defenses. It's not like running an amoeba defense, but like running, just having a lot of different schemes and versatility. And uh, it's kind of like how, you know, in, in college football with spread offense, everyone starts playing the spread um, and it works incredibly well. Everyone's still scrambling to figure out how to defend it. And then more teams start running nickel, things like that. Um, so it's kind of like, that's what's happening in basketball right now. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because right now, I mean, 
I, I'm definitely interested to see what KP and, and, and coach Bjorkren put together and, and how they, they run things. And if they come back with this, this variation of the team, but I also question, like, I, I just wonder what you can do with both of them, with both miles and Domas in terms of having that, um, really versatile defense. Cause there's, I mean, Caitlin Cooper, of course, has brought up a lot of really great stuff in terms of, um, what Toronto did and, you know, Gasol and Ibaka playing together has been mentioned, but they really didn't play in nearly the exact same um, uh, amount of minutes or, or, you know, crunch time lineups that, that Domas and Miles would play in. So it's, it's a little different, but um, a lot of thoughts to throw out there, but I'll, I'll see you back to you. Well, no, it's a, yeah, it's one thing that has always intrigued me about the lineups uh, or the, uh, uh, the roster that the Pacers, constructed going into the season is that they seem to be um, uh, open to so many different versatilities on both offense and defense. Like there isn't uh, one guy that has to dominate the ball mm-hmm. uh, at, at peak uh, fit, um, operation with everybody healthy. You'd like to see the ball um, evenly between Oladipo and Brogdon kind of trading in between. You've got two centers that can set screens. You could even do horn sets because you've got two bigs. And of course, all the different directions that those two guys can go in um, because of how much skill there is in this lineup uh, from an offensive perspective, uh, there should be not a whole lot of different kinds of uh, play sets that they can't do yeah. because everybody could do a little bit of everything. A lot of people can dribble a little bit. Everybody on that team can shoot. Um, and uh, that's a very exciting thing to see uh, Nate kind of uh, be able to attack with defense. It is a big open question as to how the league is going to uh, evolve and how the Pacers are going to be able to handle that. It seemed like the, uh, uh, the defense with uh, Turner and Sabonis on the floor definitely was a lot better than I thought it would yeah. be. Um, which is honestly a little bit of a mystery to me. Um, uh, you know, you could, you could say they handled uh, different coverages this way or that way, but it's, I, I don't see how Dome should be able to handle that as well as he has, but it has worked. Uh, scoreboard is what it is. And, and those lineups have been pretty good. Um, I don't know exactly how he's going to make that work defensively, uh, but it has done it a little bit in the past. It gives a little bit of a hope of it working in the future. It is one of those things, though, where in my head I think about it, and it doesn't seem like it should work. Yeah, and yet it does a little bit in practice, and so um, that's a wait and see approach for me. Uh, I'd be very, very curious to see. Uh, you know, what the defense looks like on day one, which apparently is going to happen in about two weeks or something. <laughs> no, man, it feels like it, honestly. <laughs> there might be a lot of changes before then, um, but it's um, an interesting kind of ball bounce with the evolution of the Pacers roster in the franchise that this seems like a good time to make a lot of changes, and yet they have a couple, like a month and a half to make changes, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it makes it seriously question are they really going to blow up, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sabonis and Turner together uh, with so little time to uh, we're talking about adjustments. We're talking about versatility, but like that's all, that's a pretty hard ask to say, let's go through a draft and training camp, trade major pieces, redo the starting lineup and install a new coach with offense and defense in about six weeks. Uh, seems a like my, the, the odds of a very major move happening before the season goes down maybe a little bit, 
contracts expire when they expire. The salary cap is what it is. You can't change when those contracts turn over and good timing is good timing. But I think that um, if the season truly started around Christmas, I would think that I, uh, uh, any decisions on major changes probably will be punted until the, uh, the, the trade deadline, whatever that will be. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to look at, too, because something that I'm I'm really wondering about, I think it was Mark Stein put out today. Um, I know the past couple of days, it's felt, felt like weeks, and it's only been like three or four days. Um, but Michelle Roberts was, you know, adamant in coming out. And, and if you, you guys aren't aware, Michelle Roberts, obviously, uh, I can't even speak, president of the Players Association, uh, or not president, but in charge of the Players Association is what I'm trying to say. Um, she came out and was pretty adamant that they don't want the league to start until around MLK day. Um, but Mark Stein came out, uh, today and reported that that is like extremely unlikely to happen. Um, so that's obviously not great. Um, just in terms of if you want the league to start later, which I personally think it should, it's a really crazy turnaround. Um, but then it brings up a lot of questions too, because a team like the Pacers, they obviously went out in the first round. If they have that kind of continuity, like, I mean, I wrote about free agency a little bit um, this week. Um, I mean, feasibly, there could be the exact same roster next year, maybe one different guy, obviously second round pick, pick 54. Um, and it brings in the question too. I mean, like, okay, well, if you come back with a complete, the, the same roster, but with different philosophies and a different coaching staff, um, you wonder, okay, can you really grab a top seed early and run with it and see what happens. Cause you look at a team like, I mean, the Lakers or Miami, just a quick example. I mean, even just the teams that were in the conference finals um, or teams that are going to have massive turnover this summer, um, summer, God, what am I saying? This off season, um, like it's just going to be like you, maybe there's a competitive advantage to having that. And, but then it also brings to the question, how much would that competitive advantage matter? Like, I don't know. It's uh it's the murkiest for me that, that the, I felt going into a season since the the lockout year, honestly. And even then, like, I wasn't that like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. Like, uh, it's then not like I think this is going to be bad, but there's just so much variability. And then one, one other thing that you look at, too, that I'm excited about and something that I, I've been thinking about, uh, there's a lot of prevalence of the idea that there might be kind of baseball series in this because there, aren't, there isn't going to be a bubble as far as we know. Um, and it seems completely uneconomically feasible to make it happen. Um, so, I mean, teams would play maybe a two, three, sometimes even four game series against another team that brings up a lot of stuff tactically. Like, and then you also look back at, at what the Pacers used to do with coach McMillan. And you think about that. I think if that team played two, three, four game series during a year, they would have struggled. Like, I mean, and that's not to talk down on what they did. I think they really did a lot to maximize the talent that they had, but uh, what really set them apart during the regular season was their continuity and their game plan and what they were doing. They weren't really messing around. Um, and you can't say the same about some of the higher end teams or not even just higher end, but like you look at a team like the Raptors, that's always tinkering with things. Um, that's not what the team has done. So I think that's just another thing to look at too, but uh, it's, I have, I have no idea what to really think or no concrete thoughts yet. Well, yeah. Bring back the theme of the day adjustments. I mean, that's, yeah. that's going to be, a bigger part of a coaching arsenal if you're playing baseball series. I'd love it if they did that. I think that oh, if, me too. If, if nothing else, just one season, just to see what happens if you do it that way and whether it makes a games more interesting and whether you have 
a series of kind of three game series, so to speak, that sparks a little bit of interest. Like, oh, you know, it's split one one. Can they, you know, get that last game? Um, obviously, it doesn't mean all that much in the grand scheme of things, but it would be kind of cool. Um, it, it, it would. Um, there's a lot of different possibilities that come out from that. And it would be interesting to look at. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I hope that that ends up being part of the plan because it would just be kind of uh, cool to watch. Um, as I understand, they have to play 70 games. Yeah, yeah. For the play 70 games and you get the TV money. for TV if money. You play 69, then you don't get anything. Uh, or you get, you know, that's when it starts eating into that money. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously 70 is the way to go. Um, and so, you know, the league, I think the players association, they're doing what they should be doing, which is saying that's a little bit ridiculous. There's a, maybe a potential chance that free agency ends up going poorly for players. Cause it's just you sign this contract or don't play. You got a week, figure it out. Um, perhaps that gives teams a little bit more leverage or it kind of ends up costing players a little bit of money and the cap's already going down. Mm-hmm. We got to figure out that cap situation. Got to figure out how everything works. We got to figure out bubbles. We got to figure out trend. And then all of that, trying to smush it together, it makes no sense at all. Well, guess what? Welcome to the real world in a way. No, I mean, I, I've, I have all the sympathy in the world, but the owners and the league and everybody else is going to say, okay, I totally get it. It's awful. It's bad. I wish this wasn't the way we have to start by Christmas in order to get our full paychecks. We all want to get paid our full amount of money from TV. So that's just what we have to do. And in the world, when there's a, there's a choice between what makes sense versus what signs the checks, what signs the checks always wins. And I'm not saying the players shouldn't complain and I'm not saying they shouldn't fight for this. and I shouldn't say point for this, but you know, whatever makes the money come in, that's what's going to happen. And so it makes no sense at all. It's a bad idea. There's a lot of consequences on this that could be negative for a lot of different people. Doesn't matter. Season's going to start at Christmas, I think. So yeah. um, uh, that's just the way the world turns. And um, that it's going to be wild, I think. Um, um, either it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild to observe no matter what. But whether or not that actually makes teams just sort of freeze everything like we got a couple of weeks, seller caps down. You know what? Let's just kind of resign everybody. Even we might see a lot of one-year deals. Maybe um, I don't know. I think so. That see, makes a lot of sense. You're always taking a risk every time you do something like that. Um, um, I wonder if you're going to see a lot more short-term contracts while players wait to be free agents again in their prime when the salary cap opens back up, when the society opens back up, and ticket sales go in. Um, you got to think something like that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I'm really interested to see is the teams that there's only four or five teams that really have cap space to do anything this summer. So, oh my God, summer off season. Um, I think like I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Like the Hawks, they have 59 million dollars committed in salary next year, which is barely half of the salary cap. Like if they really wanted to, they could just destroy the MLE for everybody. So you look at a guy like Mo Harkless. Uh, Jay Crowder, I think, will get like maybe a little bit above the MLE, um, but I think people will be pretty apprehensive just given his shooting fell off in the finals and uh, he's not a good shooter outside Miami or Boston. So, but I mean, you look at a guy like Mo Harkless. I mean, he's definitely a guy who's probably just about worth the MLE, but if Atlanta really wanted to, they could say, hey, you know, we can give you a $17 million one-year deal to come play in Atlanta come off our bench and just make us a better team while we need some veteran presence. And then you can get paid next summer. Well, I guess it'll be summer or fall. I don't, I don't know. I just got to say off season. Um, and that could really muck things up for other teams. So I'm inter- interested to see what happens with that. 
And then you also look at a guy like Gordon Hayward. I think he's in such an interesting situation. This is, I have no interest in talking about Gordon Hayward to the Pacers. I'm putting that out there right now. That's not what we're trying to talk about. But I just mean, in looking at him, I mean, he has this massive player option. So you think, okay, he has to take it. Well, he's a guy with injury issues. He's had injury issues the last two or three years. Um, so if he were to maybe decline his player option and he either signs a longer uh, longer term deal with with the Celtics or he signs with someone else in free agency on a longer deal, that can make sense for him. But because you also look at if he gets injured during the season or um, you know just something goes wrong with the season, you're like, okay, well then this guy could lose immense value when when going on the the free agent market next year. So that's like, I mean, and that's just a microcosm. He's a big example with his player option, but there are quite a few guys who I think will definitely be looking at that. Yeah, um, I'd be surprised to see him uh, kind of uh, opt out of that player option. I, yeah, I don't think he will, but it's just, it's something to think about for sure. Yeah, and you know, it's it, w- the future is a lot less certain than it ever has been before, mm-hmm. I think. And so um, I think that um, ends up making the changing the calculus a little bit. I think we're just going to see, I don't think we're going to see everybody do one thing. I think we're going to see some people say, let's just sign one year deals and just try to hope society comes back and then sign bigger deals going out forward. Other people say the future is uncertain. Now we have no idea how it's going to go in the future. We have absolutely no uh, 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 knowledge that it's going to get better. Maybe we should lock it in now. Um, we look at the declining TV ratings of the NBA. It's happened in a lot of sports too. Uh, clearly it has, to me, it seems clear that uh, the streaming has a decent um, impact. Yeah, I agree. Um, but however you want to look at it, what's the next TV deal going to be like, you know? And so I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure when that ends up expiring, but there's, there's a lot of different uh, factors that are constantly putting the, uh, the future of sports in flux. And so I could see some players saying, you know what? It might be a little bit less now. The market might be a little bit dry, but I might end up looking like a genius locking in a five-year deal right now when everybody else is uh, struggling a little bit in the future. So I think that there's going to be camps. <clears throat> this camp wants to lock in long-term deals. This camp's uh, uh, ready to just give one-year deals a bet on themselves. There's always a little bit of that, uh, but I think it's going to be pretty splintered. And so um, it'll be uh, really fascinating to watch that uh, go down. And I'm also excited that, for the first time, I go on vacation every year around uh, uh, July 4th. Mm-hmm. And every year I have to take a break from vacation to like look at my phone while the family vacation is happening and all that sort of jazz. So I am kind of looking forward to uh, having a, a free agency period where I'm just doing nothing but sitting around yeah. in my house, uh, uh, you know, waiting for uh, the next Zoom meeting. It'll be that'll be a nice little break uh, and it'll be a little bit more fun. So that's kind of cool. It's, it changes all over the place, I guess. I agree, man. Like, oh God, dude, I can't even, I, I'm not even ready to like think about free agency. Cause I know it's just going to, I'm going to just call it four days of hell right now. I think that's what it's going to be like. You're, there's, it's just going to jet off. Like all these signings are just going to be absurd. There's going to be trades that happen. Like I'm just picturing like the, the episode of the office when, uh, when Dwight sets off, like starts a fire and it sets off the fire alarm. That's what, that's how I'm picturing free agency going right now. And I'm not, I'm not ready for it, but it's going to be exciting when it gets here. What's the name of the cat? It's like uh sprinkles or. Oh, uh, um, 
Bandit. Save Bandit. Bandit. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll right. pause that audio <laughs> in there. Uh, I don't think the pod's big enough yet to get uh, get corrected <laughs> by the people who created the office. But yeah. Oh man. Save Bandit. Oh god, that that episode is fantastic. Um, that was that was that was a Super Bowl. That was uh, that was their post Super Bowl special. I remember. Oh really? Yeah, I that's why they did yeah, such a crazy intro. The they had the money. It was like all on Netflix, so I was late to it. Um, so I think you know a couple of things are wrapping up. Uh, number one. There's no coaching staff in place currently. Just Nate Bjorkren, um, so one man show right now. I'm interested to see how that goes. Um, obviously, the only coach has been rumored, Danny Manning. I, I mean, obviously was a really good player. Um, played with KP at Kansas when they won a national title together under Larry Brown. So that's interesting. Uh, I, I wonder how much of that you kind of rely, not rely. You, you kind of are like, okay, well, front office is having a hand in coaching hire or. I don't know. It's interesting to look at. I don't think Nate has any ties to Danny Manning from any past experiences. As far as I know, um, obviously Co- Manning was in the NCAA most recently with Wake Forest and Tulsa. Um, so this would be his first foray into the NBA since before then, I believe. Um, any thoughts on him in terms of coaching and just, and we can go from there on, on in terms of looking at coaches. No, not, not particular. I mean, obviously, we'll let's kind of have to see how that goes. Seems like yeah. he has a connection to KP, which is cool. Um, this will be the first time, you know, well, really, the first time that I've really paid attention to the Pacers that they've really swapped the decks yeah. ever since, uh, I guess, uh, Larry Brown left. I think that that was a whole new staff that came in with Bird, if I'm not mistaken. Um, ever, ever since then, this is the very first time because it's always been – uh, Dan Burke's been that connective tissue through all yeah. of these staff. So you've always had at least that, uh, that he was a, a returning member of the coaching staff, which is really crazy. I, I, you know, I'm not aware of any other team that's had that happen. Um, oh, in the he was NBA, definitely the longest like tenured be- assistant coach of not, maybe not all time, but as far as I'm aware, like I don't lasting five different coaching staffs is remarkable. It's gotta be one of the longest tenured employees of an NBA franchise. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that list is, but he's definitely on there and it's not very long. Um, but beyond that, you know, um, when uh, Jim O'Brien came over um, and got hired when Rick Carlisle was let go, uh, uh, that was obviously a, a pretty big change. But since then, you know, he had Frank Vogel, Frank Vogel becomes coach. He adds uh, Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan becomes coach. Um, and of course, Dan Burke's there the whole time. And so it, it's been, um, uh, uh, at least a little bit carried over from each particular coaching staff, two coaches each time during those sh- uh, shifts carried over from the last staff. So this is the first time we've just seen a reset button uh, happen with the Pacers. Carlisle was not hired as an assistant after he was with uh, Larry Bird, but he was a returning member um, mm-hmm. of the coaching staff because he was the offensive coordinator when they went to the finals, uh, so to speak. Uh, uh, so this is really the first time we're going to see brand new people um, in the, uh, uh, the Pacers coaching staff. And so uh, that's an exciting part too. I've never quite seen um, a, a total regime change with that. And so uh looks like Manny will be part of it. Um, Manning's a, apparently uh, like being in Indiana. Uh, so that's a, that's a good last name to have uh, to <laughs> uh, endear yourself to Indiana fans. Uh and I'm excited to see who else is going to be. Probably just going to be people we've never heard of, I suppose. But yeah, um, actually, uh, it's, we shall see. I, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, because I'm annoying and I like doing this stuff. 
I spent the first like three hours of my day going back through every roster that uh, Coach Bjorkman's been on in the G League and in the NBA. And oh, I yeah? think there are like only like two people who I'm like pretty confident could be here. One guy is actually former Pacers player, Vitaly Potapenko. Uh, they coach together in Santa Cruz. And I mean, he's currently with the Grizzlies, but that could change. I don't know. Maybe he gets a higher position, but he was with uh, with Nate for two years there uh, and has still been coaching. And then there's this guy named Tyler Marsh who they coached in Bakersfield and Iowa, uh, currently a player development coach with Toronto. So they, they've been together for quite a few years. Um, So I think he's a potential, but outside that, I mean, I don't, I don't exactly anticipate Jay Triano coming to to Indiana and that's fine with me. Um, I mean, Earl Watson hasn't coached forever. I've have like a whole list of names and like all of them, like everybody in Toronto is like super young, probably going to stay in Toronto. But uh, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of potential. So yeah, I agree. I feel like we're going to see a lot of names that we don't know. It's not going to be very Clippery or Brooklyn-y and have all of like, I mean, just crazy all-star <laughs> coaching staffs, which I'm actually really less so with with Brooklyn, but with uh, with the Clippers, I'm really interest, interested to see how that coaching staff works out. Like just based on, you know, coaches are very, I'm not going to say egotistical, but you know what I mean? Like they're very confident in themselves. I mean, you have to be to be really successful at the highest levels. Um, So I think that's a lot of strong-willed people to have together in one room uh, trying to all work together. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, But regardless, it's uh, this has been one of the weirdest coaching circle cycles I've ever seen. And Oklahoma city just still does not have a head coach. Uh, where the draft is happening in three weeks and they're just like, Oh, we're doing our thing. I'm sure like <laughs> Sam Presti will just pull somebody who never had a jumper, but was really athletic and played the three and they'll, they'll coach the team or something. I don't know, but um, <laughs> yeah, who knows, man. I think, uh, I think that Dan Tony, Mike D'Antoni, who will be a coach in the hall of fame, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Being hired to be the assistant coach for a guy that he coached. It's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Um, I, I haven't had too many uh, players who have uh, jumped right into coaching um, uh, immediately uh, without any coaching experience. But even then, just like a lot of coaches are former players. I, I don't know if I, that's ever happened before that a player has had a former coach as one of his assistants. Maybe I'm missing something obvious, but um I'd never quite uh, uh, heard of that. So uh, that, that'll that be an interesting dynamic. It kind of makes me curious if players sort of have a bad taste about D'Antoni and the way that he coaches. I mean, things in, in Houston didn't seem to go super well. Pure speculation on my part, but to have a guy, uh, you know, part of the reason why you hire Steve Nash is uh, probably in, in the wake Mm-hmm. of being a part of seven seconds or left of being part of this revolutionary offense has got to be a little bit of what you're thinking of, you know, the kind of uh, foundational piece for uh, modern offenses. Steve Nash knows it. So maybe he can implement some of that here to have that kind of mentality, but then also, Oh, the guy who actually did it. Yeah. Your assistant coach, come on board. Yeah. Makes me wonder if it's one of those, um, a dynamic like the Pacers had when they went to the finals where Larry Bird was the legend Larry Bird was a guy that the players respected. And then the guy who was drawing up the plays was Rick Carlisle. I wonder if it's going to be a little bit of that sort of situation uh, with uh, D'Antoni uh, not having to uh, give the speeches, but is uh, drawing up the offense. Um, pretty interesting sort of dynamic there. But um, like I said, with the Pacers, we've seen it work before. So uh, maybe his overall destiny is to be just like the the, the Cadillac of offensive coordinators. But uh, Yeah, he becomes like the Jeff Bizdelic of offense. 
<laughs> guy you hire uh, for defense. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting. And I, I would also say, um, I mean, this like, just cause I never expected it. When I got the notification on my phone that Amari Stoudemire got hired as an assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets, I was like, Amari Stoudemire is coaching. Like I, I pictured like Amari Stoudemire opening up his own wine vineyard or like literally anything <laughs> other than like coaching basketball. But I was like, all right, man, like I'm, I'm just excited to see what they do. Um, it'll be really interesting. Yeah. Stoudemire always struck me as a really smart guy. So yeah. Oh, definitely. Not too surprising, but he also seemed like he was smart enough to, to like get on a beach somewhere and, and chill out for the rest of his life. Yeah, exactly. That was my, I, like, I always like pictured him as somebody as soon as he was done with the NBA, be like, Oh, I'm, I'm chilling. Like he seems like a really cool dude. I'd love to meet him. But like, I was, I was just surprised. Um, well, maybe, maybe he was uh, trying to launch an acting career after train rack and it never turned out, uh, panned out. So then he uh, pivoted the coaching. So it most uh, definitely did not work it, better than Shaq's acting career. That's for sure. But not by <laughs> well, much. You know, man. Hey, man, he was the star of a couple films. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but you can't take that away. From him. That was a good point. He was good in blue <laughs> chips, but blue chips itself. So flawed, man. So flawed. Um, yeah, I like blue chips. It's, it's like it's, it's, it, it definitely seemed a little prescient for the way the college basketball went, though. Yeah, that's true. It's also just like a very clear ripoff of Bobby Knight. Like Nick Nolte is just playing Bobby Knight, and then he play he coaches a game against Bobby Knight in the game. Which I yeah, no, for really sure. Funny. Yeah, it's gonna say that was um, they definitely signaled that. That very was meta. Hey, in case you didn't get that, this is supposed to be Bobby Knight. Here's Bobby Knight. Like, you yeah. get it? This is the same guy. Okay, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. we get it. We've, we we're, we're following it. <laughs> I still think he got games better, but I'll 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 take that one to the grave. Um, so the last thing before we get out of here, I just want to put out some news real quick. Uh, Sham Sharania of the Athletic teams are now starting today allowed to open practice facilities. Um, group workouts and scrimmages with up to 10 players can now happen. And then Adrian Wojnarowski, I don't even know why I didn't just say Woj. Uh, you definitely know who that is. Puts out like probably a half hour later. Um, you have to test. So players have to test positive every day and return a negative each time to participate. Uh, it was a memo shared with teams today. So that's obviously significant. This is going to be a very quick month and a half um, training camp. If so, basically, if the direct, like if everything is going to fall out, like it's supposed to game starting on the 22nd of December training camp is supposed to start on December 1st. That's, that's almost less than a month. That's 32 days from now. So <laughs> man, this is about to be quick. Yeah, that is wild. And you know, the, the NBA was really smart when it came up with the bubble. And I think a lot of people were, um, uh, I mean, we, nobody really knew anything about what was, what was happening with the coronavirus in the country uh, to, to a certain degree. And so there was a lot of uh, kind of hand-wringing and questions about whether or not it was going to work. It worked great. Uh, they did a really good job of that. There's a lot of uh, things like uh, the development of the quick test that came out of the NBA doing that, which is kind of cool for society as well. Um, it seems like it's going to open up a little bit. Um, they're not going to have that, that bubble protection completely. Uh, they've kind of released players back out. Um, coronavirus cases are starting to spike. Um, and now they're doing these, these testing systems, but they're a little bit closer to what's happening with the NFL. Um, it hasn't been a disaster or anything for the, for the NFL, but it hasn't been great. Um, it seems like there's been quite a few uh, holes sprung from the ship. Yeah. And now uh, the NBA is going to be subjecting themselves to something very similar to what the NFL is doing. And so uh, that'll be 
interesting, I think, to watch um, whether or not this is actually going to work, whether or not doing all those uh, uh, that testing uh, that vigorously will actually keep cases out, whether or not we'll see NBA players with positive cases. Um, I think NBA likes having the image of the league that can make the bubble happen and can keep coronavirus out of the league. And this opens themselves up to a lot of exposure that that might not happen. And this is another consequence of the uh, the NBA starting things up so uh, quickly. If they can hold out till Martin Luther King Day, then maybe society changes, or maybe you know the coronavirus cases go back down. If they insist on going right now, they have to do it in the middle of cases spiking. And so, yeah. I'm really interested to see how they go from we're the bubble. Uh, to a league that handled it perfectly. We're the gold star of all American entertainment, basically, and how we handle that to they're going to have some positives. If they do it like this, it's just going to happen. And how they handle that, I think will be interesting to watch as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, man. Like can't go much worse than things just went with the world series and Rob Manfred getting interviewed. Oh my God. That was a uh, every day that, that I, that I watch sports. I remember why I'm, I'm not a baseball fan and it makes me <laughs> fine to not be one, but uh, anyways, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on, man. This was a fun time. Uh, what are you working on or what's going on in your life? That's exciting right now that you want people to know about. Uh, I mean, it's hard to see beyond, uh, uh, Halloween. I will have uh, my son dressed up as Captain America. My daughter will be Spider-Man. I got a little Superman thing going on. Uh, so uh, that'll be fun uh, doing all those activities and then the election. And uh, I just hope that, you know, the world still exists on Wednesday and we'll take it from there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a good time. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens with Halloween tomorrow. I'm, I'm very hopeful that people will uh, enjoy themselves, but also stay safe. And uh, yeah, it's going to be, well, hopefully the case the cases don't spike too much tomorrow. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, in getting out of here, just to, to issue to everyone again, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us w- with growing the show, um, getting some more exposure. Um, and lastly, like we mentioned at the beginning, go vote. Just do it. Um, it's worth doing. Take your time to do it. And, and lastly, thank you for listening. Uh, have a good Halloween tomorrow. Stay safe. Just have a good rest of your day.